The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime receive your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides, all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time that you're allowed to happen, Lord. God, prepare our hearts and our minds as we receive your word, your teaching from Randall through, through Randall, Lord. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and our minds. Empower us with the wisdom that we need, or even more, Lord, to see what you're trying to tell us today. May you prepare us as we um, speak to you and as you speak to us, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, eh? morning. We've been in a series this past month in November called A Generous Life, and we're talking about how grace, the idea of grace, how God's grace changes everything in our lives, and what we've been talking about is how God has created you and me, not for um, accumulating more stuff, but to be generous with what God has given us. And so we believe that God has created us for so much more than what we're told that we're supposed to live for. And uh, last week, I saw just a tangible way that uh, our church engaged in that. I was so encouraged because last week we talked about uh, the church plant that we were able to be a part of and helping plant uh, last year in Ecuador, Aloha, Ecuador. 
and we were able to partner with Compassion International with some of the, the kids in that village that are now in a local church um, and, and so now they're going to be getting sponsored by people here at Grace City. Um, we had 30 packets last week, and uh, over 20 of them were taken. So uh, praise God for, for that. And uh, you know what? We still got some packets out there. And so if you would like to sponsor a child through Compassion International and uh, be a part of the church plant uh, for the kids that are there in Ecuador, uh, we'd love for you to jump in and be a part of that. And so that's, that's right there outside. And, um, and the cool part about that is, that, you know, it's not just saying, hey, we're just gonna send resources over here and never see those, those resources, what happens with those, but we're able to, in the future, take trips and go and see these kids and be a part of their lives because that, that's, that's the really important part. You know, I was able to, um, earlier in uh, 2016, able to go and be on a compassion trip and they said, you know, it's, it's, it's it, as much as, as this sounds just like crazy, like they, they, don't, they don't need the money part. What they really need is somebody in their life. Uh, they need relationship. And so that's the thing that the, the kids really treasure um, is the relationship with their sponsors and being able to see them grow up and, and accomplish great things because um, they, do the, they do this in Jesus' name. That's the thing that they're about. They're like, we're gonna do this in, in Jesus' name. So it's really an awesome, awesome thing. Um, so our text today is Luke 16, 19 through 31. And I don't know if you, you really soaked in what was read right there, but uh, this parable, it scares me. It puts the fear of God in me as I listen to it. You know, last week we talked about how um, we are a part of, really most of us are a part of the 98 percentile in the world when it comes to wealth. Um, in the world. And so when we look at scriptures like this, we can't distance ourselves from being the rich man. Right, like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not rich, I'm not, I'm not like that. It, it comes very close, and it should really be very scary. So we can't separate ourselves from this. And so our message today is this, this idea of selflessness. Selflessness. See, what type of life did Jesus call us to? If we're talking about a generous life, what he's calling us to is a selfless life. See, earlier in Luke, Luke 9, 23 through 24, he says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, this is one of those scriptures that as Jesus has this crowd accumulating around him, people are saying, yay, Jesus, we want to go hang out with Jesus. We want to be a Jesus follower. Jesus turns around and says something like that. If you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. You need to lose your life. That, that, that's not a church growth strategy right there. Like, Great. This isn't gonna tickle people's ears. This is gonna be like, oh man, I, I don't know if I wanna be a part of that. 
See, these are the things that shrunk the crowd as Jesus started to share the truth of who he was. He says, I, I didn't come for you to be comfortable, but I came that you would live a life that would be a life of self-denial, selflessness. See, Jesus warns us that holding on to self is dangerous. It's dangerous. And so how does that look practically? How do we describe that? Well, author C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says it like this. He says, submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. He says this, he says, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. See, when we see Jesus saying, deny yourself, we think, oh no, Jesus is trying to hold out. He's trying to be like, okay, you're, you're not gonna get this. But what he's saying is as we surrender our lives, as we live selflessly, we actually find true life. Eternal life. Lasting life. See, there's this lie in our minds that if I hold on to myself, then I'm gonna get everything that I need. But Jesus says no. Let go of yourself, let go of your life, and you'll find something so much better. See, what is the trend of our current generation right now? It's, this is not a popular message. It's not about being selfless, it's about selfies, right? That, that's what our generation is about. I mean, in, in, in my son, I see it more and more. We were hanging out, walking through school one day, and um, he said, Dad, made some pretty cool videos at school today. Um, I've been trying to load them to Facebook, and uh, I, how do you do that? I need people to see these cool videos that I did. I said, son, you don't have a Facebook page? <laughs> and uh, you're, you're not gonna be loading those to Facebook. See, naturally, he, he's just wanting this attention to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. In 2013, an article was written in Time Magazine called Millennials, the me, me, me generation. You know, it's, it's, it's this guy named Joel Stein, and he kind of starts out like, like every generation as they look at the new generation, and they're from previous generations. They're like, there's no way that there's gonna be any future with this generation coming up. <laughs> Things are just gonna be terrible. There's no way that we're gonna make it. But he says, this time I've got facts to back it up. Said, here's the, the cold, hard data. The incidence of narcissistic persona personality disorder is nearly three times as high for people in their 20s as for the generation that's now 65 or older, according to the National Institutes of Health. 58% more college students scored higher on a narcissism scale in 2009 than in 1982. In the US, millennials are the children of baby boomers who are also known as the me generation and then produced the me, me, me generation. 
whose selfishness technology has only exacerbated. Whereas the 1950s families displayed a wedding photo, a school photo, maybe a military photo in their homes, the average middle class American family today walks amid 85 pictures of themselves and their pets. Now, I thought about it and I started to look around my home and I thought, we got a lot of pictures of ourselves here. <laughs> we do. You say we've fallen into this culture, we've fallen into this trend that it's just okay to express openly this love for self. Social media, smartphones only reveal the true inner battle that we all face. It's a deep love for me. It's much like the coffee mug that simply says, I love me some me. <laughs> See, it is, it's funny. But why? Because it's true. It's true. It's and it's completely contrary to the way of Jesus. You see, in our consumeristic culture, how, how do people advertise to a me, me, me generation? They said, hey, if you get a gift card or buy something for somebody else, there's actually something in it for you. We're gonna give you a gift card on top of the gift card that you got for your friend because we know that's the only way you're probably gonna buy it, right? It's like, it's just, just feeding more, more, more into this me, me, me society. But it's not the way of Jesus. In the Old Testament, a, a man named Solomon was given a choice. And here's what he said. He says, choose, God, God said, choose anything, anything in the world, and you'll have it. And what did Solomon choose? He chose wisdom. And eventually he wrote this book entitled Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is essentially a book, a case study on self-absorption. What does it look like to live a life where I've got access to everything and I can have it at my fingertips and I can live like that? And so if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, it's just this book where Solomon says it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11, here's what he says. He says, whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered that all my ha hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. He said it didn't matter. See, there is a hollow emptiness to a self-focused, selfie life. And here's the truth, our, our culture is feeling it. Emptiness, loneliness, depression, self-hatred. In today's text, Jesus tells a parable about a man who was, who was rich, but we find this guy is in hell. He's in hell. And so you ask, well, wh what's a parable about? What is a parable? Well, what it is, it's just a short way to describe it, is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, so it's like this, this spiritual meaning behind an earthly story. So he's saying there, there, there's the reality that people live like this, that we can live like this. 
And so what is God trying to tell us through this story? Jesus tells us this, first, because the reality of eternity, heaven, hell, is real. It's real. And throughout the Bible, we find that Jesus talks about hell, talks about the reality of that many times. And what it is, hell, is a self-absorbed disintegration of what you and I were meant to be. It's, it's taking the, the, the image of God, the way that God intended us to be, and disintegrating into something that we were never meant to be. See, we weren't created for that. God didn't create us for that. See, but all of us have this choice. C.S. Lewis, in, in the classic book, The Great Divorce, says this. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. It's a choice. Self over God. And so our text is Luke 16, 19 through 31. And just to set up, there's two parts to this text. The first part is, you find it in verses 19 through 21. And this is the life of the rich man and the poor man. And so here's what we find about the rich man. The rich man wore expensive clothes. And so it was the equivalent of he had a fashion designer that was designing his clothes. And so we find that he's, he's dressed up in uh, just extravagant clothes, purple and fine linen. And, and what it says about him is that he, he feasted sumptuously every day. Okay, so he held nothing back from himself. Every type of worldly pleasure that he could have, he was going to have it. He lived for pleasure, his own pleasure. And what it says in the original translation, if you were to translate it, it was said that he enjoyed himself brilliantly. He enjoyed himself brilliantly. But then we find the poor man. Talks about him in verse 20. It says that he was laid at this rich man's gate. Again, in the Greek, it would have said that he was like thrown down. So probably he was uh, pointing the fact, he was pointing to the fact that he was a crippled man. Uh, he was badly diseased. And it says that the dogs would come and lick his wounds. And so that's a really gross depiction, right? And, and you think about dogs. Like, oh, cool, there's just some fluffy dogs coming around, hanging out with him. Look at his one. No. <laughs> These are street dogs that we're talking about here. And so they're coming up to him, and, and that was his life. And it said he desired to eat the bread that the man would um, have used during that time to clean his hands. So before he enjoyed his meal, he would have taken bread, wiped his hands with it, and then thrown it out, and then the dogs would have eaten that. So this man, like his desire was, I just wish I could have a piece of that bread. The bread that was thrown out. We find in death, verse 22, that the poor man dies, and it talks nothing of a burial for him. 
So he probably had no proper burial. Uh, he wasn't even really looked upon as valuable enough to have one. But then the rich man, it says that he dies and most likely has this lavish burial. And so the question is, well, what, what do we learn from this text and really the dangers of selfishness? Because really what we're gonna see next is it's this man's life. And so um, in this parable, Jesus addresses the selfishness in this man in three ways. And here's how he, he says it. First, he, he addresses the blind, blindness. And so selfishness blinds us. The second point is, is it's deeply rooted. And the third is it costs something. So blinds us, is deeply rooted, costs something. Okay, so the first point, it, it blinds us. So this selfishness blinds us. Look, look at this. It says, okay, verses 22 through 24. The rich man also died and was buried. Like we said, he had, he had this burial. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. There are two very interesting observations as we read this text that, that really stick out. And, and this is just from all the commentaries that I read on this text. Um, this is really important for us. The first one is this. The rich man, he asked for some level of relief from where he was, but he didn't ask to leave. He was okay with where he was at. He just needed a little bit of relief. And the second part of this that, that really sticks out is this, that the rich man gives orders, to Laz or, or gives orders to Abraham for Lazarus to serve him. So, so as he's looking, he, he, he gets to this place where he's like, okay, he sees Lazarus as a person who still is below him. David Wenham on this text says this. He said, it is possible that we are meant to think of him still looking on Lazarus as an inferior and a nobody. Do you want to know what hell is? It's the root of selfishness that thinks that I'm better than somebody else. He's in this position and he's ordering Abraham to do this for him, saying, hey, send that guy over there. As he looked at him, he, he must have recognized him. But he still thought that he was in this high position where he can start to command Lazarus. See, what does selfishness do? It blinds us to the true mess that we're in. This man was blinded that he was in Hades at this point. But then it demands others to do our bidding. It, it's self-absorbed. So self-absorbed that, that we don't see the hurt of others. See, this guy was, was placed in a very prominent place at his house, but he would walk in 
And here's the thing. It doesn't say that this guy will, he'd kick him on the way in or, you know, he just, he just was mean to him. Just ignored him. Acted like he wasn't there. See, he was so blinded to the needs of this man, he just, he was okay with his life. He's too wrapped up in his own sufferings at this point. D.A. Carson says, hell will be filled with people who still think they're number one. And so this guy just thought, I'm still on top. I can still make these demands. And so he, he's blinded to reality. There is a level of self-awareness that's just not there for this guy. And Jesus wants to make a point about that. The second point is it's deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted. And so look at verses 27 through 30. It says, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And so first he starts out again, and he's still giving orders. Right, like, here's what you gotta do for me, Father Abraham. Next on my list, you gotta go tell my brothers. And what that looks like is really compassionate. Right, like, maybe this guy's starting to think about somebody other than himself. He's thinking about his brothers now. Oh, isn't that a great thing? But what we find is that it's, it's not for his brothers. It's actually a lot more self-motivated. As we dig under the surface, there's so much more under the text that we, we don't see at face value. Because that, that's not what he's saying in this text. Again, David Wenham said, his request does not indicate a new generosity. What it indicates is a bitter resentment on the rich man's part about what has happened to him. In suggesting that Lazarus be sent to his brothers, is he implying that he is suffering unfairly and without due warning? Certainly the request reemphasizes the direness of his situation. The rich man and his brothers had no excuse. They had these scriptures, which they chose to ignore. And so again, this, this guy's coming in and, and we look at his life and, and what he's essentially saying is, I'm here because I didn't get proper warning. And Abraham wasn't having any of it. He's like, no. They have the scriptures. See, again, as you, as you look at this, this guy probably went through life, coasting through life, ignoring 
God's word. Ignoring is, yeah, it's, it's a little boring. I need something a little bit more exciting. And so he's coasting through life with Moses and the prophets and, and, and minimizing the need for it in his life. And so instead of receiving that saying, you know what, you're right. I coasted through life. I, 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 I minimized the scriptures in my life. I, I really didn't see that I, I needed that. And you're not seeing like a, an acknowledgement of, yes, they do have the scriptures. But do you see his response? He said, no, Father Abraham. No. Let me think of something better. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Think about this for a minute. He didn't say, send me, I need to go tell my brothers about this. This is terrible. What he says is, hey, you need to go send Lazarus to go tell them about this. He's not even in a place where he would say, I need to go. I need to tell them. Do you see how blinded he is? See, that's the point that Jesus is trying to point us to. It's this grumbling. It's this deep thing within us that, that makes excuses and says, here's what needs to happen. Here's why I'm right. Here's why I'm being treated unjustly. See, it's that deep thing. What's, what's the anguish? What's the flame? It's this deep angst within us that it's all about me. See, again, in the, the great divorce, one of the things, it, it gives this picture of, of hell and, and you... It, it gives this picture of Napoleon. He says, somebody saw Napoleon once. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thought. He says, saw Napoleon once. He was so isolated, far off from people, but somebody ventured to go see him once. And what did they see? They see him blaming people. It was these people's fault. It was these people's fault. It was these people's fault. Completely separated from reality. Not willing to acknowledge where he was wrong. See, it's, it's deeply rooted in all of us to justify ourselves. It's in all of us. Yesterday, I was uh, with the family. We were going over to Miramar Lakes, and we got there at the perfect time when everyone had a parking spot, except for us, right? So we're driving around in the parking lot, and I'm getting frustrated because I'm just like, when is there going to be a parking spot that opens up? So Laura's like, just wait here at this one little spot and uh, maybe we'll see if something opens up. So I'm waiting and we're waiting and I'm like, hold on, circle around real quick because there's a parking spot over here. And so I'm circling while another car is coming in newly to this area, <laughs> mind you, n brand new. Just saw it. So I'm circling as fast as I can over there. 
and we both meet at the same time right before this person pulls out. And so now it's the stare down. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's something in my heart that rattles in there. I was here first. <laughs> Hold on. You, you just saw that spot. You just got here. I have been here the whole time. Stare down. The person pulls out, goes, and by the grace of God, I sit there and wait. I said, it's yours. And I'm grumbling on the way. As, Laura, man, I was there first. It's deep in us. It's deep in me. And here's the thing. We can go through life like that and not see one ounce of a problem. But when God comes into your life, you say, that's an issue. That's an issue in me. Why am I grumbling? Because it wasn't but five minutes later when we had a parking spot. But I had this issue in my heart that I just wanted it to be about me. What this man is all about, what we see him in Hades thinking about, contemplating about, is just about making self-justification. Arguments. And then we get to the third part. Selfishness costs something. Verse 31, it says, he, he said to, to him, if you do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, what, what, is, what does a self-motivated life do? It separates us from relationship. It costs something. And so this man cost him his family. Do you notice that throughout this parable, the rich man has no name? Doesn't give a name. But the names of the people that were said to be in heaven, Abraham, Lazarus, they have a name. See, this is the only parable where Jesus uses names. Why? Because ultimately, in the end, the rich man, in his selfishness, he truly loses himself. He loses himself. He sacrificed his life. He has no name. I mean, you've, you've seen this. I've seen this. When we live this self-motivated Life, life comes and goes and quickly forgotten. Luke 9.24 again says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
Jesus is saying, you, you want life? You, you want to know what life is truly about? I'll give it to you. See, what, is, what does Lazarus' name mean? I, I believe Jesus was very specific when he chose this name because here's what Lazarus' name means. God helps. God helps. See, there are only two types of people in the world. Those who say, God help, or I'm fine. I've got it. I don't need God. And how does God choose to help? Here's what he does. He says, instead of you paying the cost of broken relationships, of, of thinking that it's all about me, he says, I'll pay the cost by sending my son. We, we have to think that when Jesus is telling this parable about the rich man and Lazarus, that, and he ends with pretty specific, someone should rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. He has to be thinking about his own sacrifice that would save you and me. It's the greatest sacrifice the world has ever seen. It's the most selfless sacrifice the world has ever seen. Don't you see, to, to, to be a Christian, to be a Christian, it costs God everything. That's what it took. Because at the expense of my selfishness, the Son of God had to be completely selfless. So on my behalf, he came, he died, he sacrificed, and it says that he rose from the dead. So what, what should all of this parable point us to? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship says this, it is only because he became like us that we can become like him. See, it, it's not because, well, we just need to go out and Pay the cost to be more selfless in life. That's not where Christianity starts or begins. It starts and begins when we look and see the cost of what God has paid for us. And then when we see the cost, when we see the riches of God, when we see the grace of God, then we see, okay, Lord Jesus, help me to become like you. Help me become generous. Help me become gracious. Like you. See, this man had minimized what it cost God already to speak to his people because when he looked at Moses and the prophets, he says, eh. What is that? Maybe if somebody were to die or raised from the dead or whatever, like then then it'd be worth something. No. If we minimize what God has already done through the prophets, through Moses, then what Jesus has done will be minimized as well. It'll just be like, ah, do you see the great cost that God's paid to be with us, to give us his word? He's done it at great expense to himself. 
And so selfishness will cost us unless we say, God, look at what it cost you. Look at what it cost you. It cost you everything and you did it for me. And so just some quick takeaways as we finish up. What happens when the gospel transforms us? The first one is this. We experience freedom from self. Freedom from self. In our culture right now, we're, we're told, my problem is that I need to love myself more. I need to love myself more. That's why I've got so much self-hatred and all those things. Like you say, and then people will try to Christianize that and say, well, look at what it says. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. So you just need to love yourself more. That's why you don't love your neighbor. You don't love yourself. No. That's not the point that Jesus is making here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, we don't have to love ourselves more because we already love ourselves enough. What's the only thing that can overpower the love of self? The love of God. You need somebody and I need somebody who can love me more than myself. See, we are always in self-protection mode. We're always in what can it, what, what's in it for me mode. See, like how do we filter life? We filter it through this idea of, man, um, what do I get? How's this gonna benefit me? What breaks down that barrier and frees us from ourselves and our self-love? Jesus, the only one who could love us more than we love ourselves. Jesus breaks down that barrier. See, if we really loved ourselves, we wouldn't put ourselves in the situations that we do a lot of the times. We need something greater than self love. We need God's love, which is no strings attached, just. It protects us. It's sacrificial. Right? And so God's love overwhelms that. And if you're saying, well, how do I get freedom from self? Look to Jesus. A great book that's right out at our resource area, we give it out for free, is this, um, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's super helpful. I'm telling you, it'll take you 30 minutes to read this book, but by the end of it, you realize just how much it costs God. The second is this. We, re, we experience a shocking self-awareness. Here's our, biggest, our two biggest hang-ups that I can think of. The first one is excuses that we make and self-justification. See, what is the man in this parable doing? He's making excuses. He's still preoccupied with himself. And he never repents. He never turns to God and says, okay, you were right. See, where do you find a a shocking self-awareness when you and I acknowledge that God is right and I am wrong? God, you're right, I'm wrong. I need your help. Again, when we were at Lake Miramar, my son's riding the skateboard 
And I'm like, son, watch out. He's getting close to the side. And so he like, whoa, does one of those numbers and then like stops and he's like, dad, why'd you do that? I'm like, because you're about to go over the edge, buddy. <laughs> well, uh, it's your fault because you yelled at me and did it, you know, one of those numbers. <laughs> Making all these excuses about why it's my fault. So we had to sit down for a second and just say, son, like, that wasn't me. That was you, and you were about to go over the edge of the road there. Finally, after a little bit of talking, he said, Dad, you're right. You're right. I did it. That's what God does in our lives. As a loving father, Hebrews 12 says that he corrects us and helps us and encourages us to help us to see where we're wrong and he's right. But he does it out of love. It's out of protection. And so we get this shocking self-awareness where we're like, man, I didn't realize how many excuses I made in my life. I didn't realize how much self-justification I made. And you just become open and vulnerable. Lord, thank you for showing me this. Lastly, it's extraordinary self-sacrifice. And so, early church father Clement wrote this about Christians. Early church Christians. Here's what he says. He says, he, Christians, impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. He likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he does not complain. I read that and I say, God, help us. Like what sticks out in a culture of self-absorption? That. People like that, that are so unconcerned about themselves, but so concerned about others. I say, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to be this. How did this work in history? Well, when a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick, which they did at the risk of of contracting the plague themselves. Meanwhile, pagans were throwing infected members of their own families to the streets even before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. Do you want to know how Christianity spread? It's when they saw how selfless they were. When they saw that they didn't fear death. But they gave up everything. Where did they learn this selflessness? from a man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, died on a cross and rose from the dead. And Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. 
It's the way of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. And he doesn't call just some Christians to this. He calls all of us. And by his grace and his power, he frees us from this tight grip of love of self to the freedom of a generous life in Jesus. Makes us more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your help. God, I, I know that in many ways I try to make excuses and justifications about why I'm right, what I need. So many ways I don't trust you. So Lord, I pray that we will trust Jesus what he provides, what he gives. I just pray that your spirit reveal in our lives where we need to grow. We want to be disciples of Jesus. Not because we feel guilty about it, but because we see the cost and we're moved by the cost of Christ. And it's your spirit that empowers us and mobilizes us to be better than we are today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.